0: This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuth, your host here on Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. This episode, I talk about evolutionism with Pastor Brian Flammy. We talk about how evolution is an ancient idea. We talk about how it cannot be um, made to be compatible with the biblical idea. We talk about the results of it and how the Bible offers something not only truer, but better. This is a fun conversation. Thanks for joining us and for listening. All right, hey, welcome to Cross Fence, your weekly attempt at capturing the joy of theology to fight back against the devil's attempts at boredom, doing a little apologetics work as well. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, broadcasting today... How about this from the new tower studio at st paul lutheran church we got a new place for the microphone so hopefully it's getting to you uh and i have pastor brian wolfmuller wait a minute that's my that's me i have pastor brian flammy with me on the phone from emmanuel lutheran church in roswell new mexico and we're going to take up the topic today of evolution everybody's favorite topic evolution which stands against the lord's clear preaching That he is the maker of heaven and earth. Evolutionism comes along and says, "Well, we got other plans. We got other ideas about that making of heaven and earth kind of thing." So we're gonna we're gonna put forth the idea of evolution. What is it, and how the Christian might respond to this on today's episode, Pastor Flammy? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. Good. You you got me. This is great. The notes here. This is this is really nice because we were talking this morning about how. One of the mistakes we make about evolution is thinking that it's a new deal, like it's, um, it comes from Charles Darwin. That's where the whole thing started. We were talking about the ancient origins of evolution, and you made a nice little quip, we should know better, because according to evolution, things just don't show up. They have to evolve eventually. So the idea of evolution itself apparently had to evolve. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty sly. But give us some notes on the history of this idea of evolutionism
1: yeah that's right. Uh, we have to understand that evolution uh, as just appearing out of the brain of Darwin, that story is a little too creative. <laughs> it, it seems like evolution biological evolution also influences the way we talk about history and philosophy and uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later so nevertheless, there is a, an evolutionary story behind evolution now, in order to follow the story this history of evolution, you have to accept uh, part of the argument of the opponents, and that is evolution is defined very broadly to grab up as much stuff as historically as possible. And so this broad definition of evolution is change or growth that occurs in a particular order. Now just think about that broad definition. What do you think now pertains to evolution?
0: Well, I mean, I imagine a child becoming an adult would pertain to it, or history itself would pertain to it, or building a house would pertain to it. Yeah, that's right.
1: Everything you see, taste, and and touch, everything that you hear, everything that you experience is in some way uh, an experience of those things that change. I mean, this world is defined by all these things around us that change. And if you accept a, a broad definition like this, pretty much everything at that point becomes evolution, as some kind of an evolution. Uh, so that's the very first uh, thing to ex- that you have to entertain in order to accept this story of where evolution came from. Uh, and so what, what this uh, uh, historical story of evolution then says next is that you can divide uh, evolutionary theories, that is, how life developed upon this earth into two different kinds. Now we're just specifically speaking about life. We're not talking about the development of philosophy or history or anything like that—we're just talking about biological life. Uh, the first way of talking about how and why things change is uh, a teleological uh, evolutionary theory, which is teleos uh, from uh, the
0: Greek word telos, which means to finish or have an end or goal. So this is the idea that it starts with the end in mind. Is that the is that the teleological idea?
1: Yeah, precisely, precisely. And, and so uh, Heraclitus is cited as the uh, pre-Socratic thinker who asserts that there is some kind of developmental principle at work in nature that brings the material things that we see and experience to some kind of, of end that's consistent with this, this principle uh, and uh, uh, you can also say that uh, Plato and Aristotle themselves, instead of saying that we have this material world where by chance, you know, uh, one type of material stuff forms into another type and then dissolves into another type, they say, well, for Plato, he says, no. In fact, the, the stuff of this realm that we experience is in a very essential way bound up to an ideal realm of forms so that the things of this changeable world. Uh, take on a particular kind of shape or purpose or they even have uh, um an end that is uh, uh that that is ordained by this uh realm of forms that is transcendent, that it, that you can't nail down into this changeable world. Well now, Aristotle so, would so, then so, identify. Oh yeah, go
0: ahead. So this this is the I mean so I mean just to kind of pick up on what you're saying. So there's this these old ideas of evolution, but they were they were spiritual at least. They might not be th- theological, although maybe they were, but they, they were able to recognize just in the sort of the plain course of life that there was something that we're being drawn towards. There's an end that we're being pulled at. Is, is that that's the idea here?
1: Yeah, that, that is very much so the idea. So no matter how the stuff in the world changes or appears to change, uh, for Plato he would say uh, that change is governed ultimately by this ideal realm of of forms. And then and then Aristotle would also assert something very similar, where the forms are are found uh, within the creatures themselves, right? You you discover the nature of the forms by the study of the creatures. Yet nevertheless the forms point towards some kind of ultimate end for the creatures and that they came from some important uh uh origin. Uh that that uh and this is what uh even Aristotle admits is the divine or God. Uh, So there is an immaterial aspect that belongs to existence, according to these different theories, uh, that the evolutionary historian wants to call teleological evolutionary theories.
0: Now that stands in contrast to a mechanistic understanding of evolution, and that is that there's no spiritual or hyper-material thing that's pulling things forward. Everything is just stuff. This is the monistic idea that... That there is no supernatural, only the the natural. Is that right?
1: Well, right. So you're not re- referring to something outside of what is immediately perceptible uh, to help explain why things have the shape and the purposes that they do in this world, right? Yeah. So that's so interesting. All get away with that.
0: I, yeah. I normally think of that. I mean, material. Mm-hmm. I, I think of evolutionism and materialism as the same phenomenon. I mean, it, it, maybe that's because the the kind of scientific materialism that we experience today is so pervasive, and that is that everything is, if if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. So it rejects out of hand any sort of existence of the supernatural by, before it even starts. Um, mm. So so, but maybe that's me because I mean and maybe I go too far because I'll bet you there are a lot of people who who would hold to a sort of evolutionary understanding of history and biology, but would would have room for for a divine or spiritual thing also, so that's what those first guys right. are.
1: Huh? Yeah, uh, uh, perhaps we, we would say that the pagan philosophers like Aristotle, Aristotle and Plato are are of the kind that you're talking about. Uh, nowadays, in modern philosophy, uh, a lot of philosophers don't like to be too crude in their materialism, and so they'll talk about uh, certain transcendent properties that arise from the state of the matter that you find, uh, so that when you have a brain fit together the way the brains fit together with all the synapses, firing, and stuff like that, uh, then something that goes beyond the mere matter that you could put under a microscope begins to occur, right? Uh, that. That uh, you have a mind, and thinking starts happening, and imagination starts happening, right, which is not not exactly identifiable with any state of affairs that you could put under the microscope if you were to dissect the brain or something like that, and so they talk about emergent qualities. Uh, some people even have even speculated saying that well, perhaps what we call a soul uh, is in fact an emergent quality from a human being now. I I think (laughs) when people talk about these emergent qualities, they're trying to account for something that they they know to be true, but once again, they're kind of locked into their materialistic uh, uh, worldview or their materialistic way of thinking. And so instead of admitting uh, the existence of the soul and a whole immaterial side of existence, they still have to reduce it down uh, ultimately to a a state of affairs in the world that's responsible for, for the immaterial existence, right? So you know the foundation is the stuff, and then whatever is immaterial uh, is something that just arises out of it. It's kind of no, like think- the thought that uh, if, if you let the, uh, uh, if you plug a bunch of computers together, right, and fill it with a bunch of information, uh, eventually it'll start to develop a mind of its own. It's like uh, the, the sci-fi plots, half a dozen movies out there,
0: you know? right now now i think it's important for us for Christians especially to recognize that this idea this this materialistic idea and this and this mechanistic view of evolution is not a, again it's not a new thing but you you have i mean i i i think i suspected this but you found this list of all of these ancient philosophers who had this this monistic idea of of cre- of the world uh, tell us about that
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So there's this great website. I mean, if your listeners, uh, gain nothing else, then, then they can gain this today. That if you want to be as smart as Pastor Flammy, if not smarter, all you have to do is type into your web browser, Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Then type in whatever topic you want, and then you'll get these scholastic or, or, or uh, scholarly articles on all these different topics in philosophy immediately at your fingertips for free. It's a wonderful resource. Well, anyways, inside this encyclopedia online, they had an article on the history of evolution. That's where I got this, uh, uh, this broad definition of evolution to capture up as much stuff in the history of the world as possible, and the history of uh, the thinking of where life comes from. And uh, they rightly, especially, when they make this distinction between the teleological thinkers, like uh, Aristotle and Plato, um, it, it, they say, this is new, this is something that's different, in fact, from the pre-Socratics that came before them. Uh, so, for instance, Thales, the Greek thinker, thinks that all things, all the stuff that you see, the trees, the people, the rocks, all of these things have originated out of water, right? So the water would have to change and develop through time in order that it took on these different kinds of material aspects, uh, whether it be, you know, treeness or or it eventually became a person. Well, there's another guy who's called Anaximenes, and he says that all things, all the stuff, is just merely a, a thickening or a thinning of air. <laughs> I like that one. That, that's kind of a fun thought. Uh, the third guy, Anaximander, uh he says that everything is moisture, and when it's influenced by warmth, it gradually changes, such that one thing, like uh, uh, I suppose a monkey, given the right conditions of moisture and warmth, can become a man. <laughs> and uh, he says... That change comes from the ceaseless and cyclical interaction between opposites, which repel by hatred, and then they are uh, reconciled and united in love. And this, in this sort of universe of hatred and love, that accounts for all the stuff that we see and experience and all the things, right? And then there's this guy named Democritus, which some of your listeners probably know as the guy who came up with the theory of the atoms, that all the stuff in the universe is composed of these... Of these tiny tiny little things called atoms. Uh, and uh, we get the word for the modern word for atom of course from Democritus himself and his theory of the atoms. Well he said that stuff forms from the atoms into bigger things that you, that, that you can see and perceive and touch and then eventually that same stuff dissolves to atoms and all of this happens without any sort of real aim or purpose. Now the thing to note about all of these pre-Socratic thinkers is that in these systems, inorganic stuff can and does develop into organic stuff, and the inert matter can and does develop into sentience, or consciousness. Hmm. Uh, all of that changes, all of that changes at, at the advent of Socrates and uh, Plato and Aristotle, where they start to account more and more uh, uh, for the immaterial side of things right? So Plato wants to say that it's not, we can't merely describe this world according to stuff, because there is some order here that we have to account for. And that order is is there because of the realm of the forms, right? Aristotle is much in the same way, where he talks about all things come uh, uh, from the prime mover, and all things have been set in motion towards an ultimate goal, or that telos, that end. Uh, So in some ways, that represents a departure from the purely materialistic world uh, worldview to now start to account for those things that are beyond sense sense perception that are beyond the realm of what you can see touch and taste and feel right Mm. Uh, and uh, that is the state of philosophy from that point forward nevertheless uh, plato and aristotle may have taken on too much onto their plates in trying to uh, describe uh, uh, the immaterial world as, as they could perceive it from examining the world or in just thinking thought. <laughs> uh, and the dominant philosophies, the practical philosophies, that ended up winning over the, the hearts and the minds of the Western world uh, were much more materialistic in their uh, thinking. Hmm. So the Stoics uh, they were a materialistic, uh, 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 they were, a, it was, stoicism is mostly an ethics. But undergirding that th- ethics is, in fact, a materialistic, monistic, as you say, uh, uh, worldview. Uh, same thing also with the, uh, uh, what do we call them? The, the Epicureans. Folks. Yeah, the Epicureans. Uh, the Epicureans were also not interested in any sort of immaterial life after death. It was live for this life alone. This is all we get. And so everything, their system of ethics, was also uh, determined by a materialistic
0: worldview. Fantastic. Now, That's, I gotta, I gotta, we're going to yeah. go to the break, Pastor Flammie, but then come back and sure. pick it up here because I it is f- fascinating. I mean, just even just to develop the simple point that when we're talking about evolution, we're not talking about an old idea. We're talking about the, I mean, a new idea. We're talking about the idea as old as the philosophers and the idea that was re- that was replaced by Plato and 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 Aristotle. They said you couldn't hold up on this idea of pure materialism. It's well. Anyway, we're going to talk about that more after. We got to go to the break now. You're listening to Cross the Fence. It's Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor Brian Flamy, talking about the idea, the I- the philosophy, the ideology of evolution, um, where it falls short, and how the Bible gives us something better. Stay tuned to the break. We'll be right back. On Law and Gospel, this is Reformation Week. On Monday's study, there were two Gospel readings from John 8 and Matthew 11. Also, for Rumination Tuesday, the hymn, there are two hymns, and the one we're going to look at is, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. This
1: week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the Book of Acts. We'll discuss why abortion apologists keep lying about babies and Christians with Pastor Hans Feeney. We'll talk with Joy Pullman about school district responses to parents upset with the LGBTQ indoctrination. And we'll study the hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, with Pastor Will
0: Whedon. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Welcome back to Cross the Fence. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf. Pastor Flammy and I are talking about evolution. We walked walk through some of the history of it. Uh, Pastor Flammy, I want to go real quick to catch up on the history. I want to jump to Hegel and Darwin and sort of pick up the ideas that we are normally facing today. Can you? Because there's a lot to talk about here. So I, I, I mean, so anyway, so go. Yeah, go. Give me five seconds on Hegel. I wish I could do that. All I can say about Hegel
1: is that he gives what we might call an evolutionary theory of history, that through a a process um, uh, in time of of thesis and antithesis being reconciled in synthesis, you have progression from the less primitive to the the more sophisticated. And so this now accounts for the story of, of history. Well, and then and then after also certain developments in the Enlightenment, science itself becomes its own discipline. It separates itself from philosophy, which is the uh, which used to be the the large the the, the you know the the wide ranging projects of, of seeking after and attaining truth. Now science is merely going to concern itself with those things that can be measured, with those things can that can it be explained uh, uh, through uh, uh, physical phenomena, right? And, and so. Uh, once we understand science as concerning itself with matter and only with matter, and coming up with material explanations for the matter that we see, uh, then Darwin is in a position to propose a fact-driven, materialistic story about the development of species. So, so what he does is he, he looks at the differences between the species and asserts that uh, traits can be inherited From uh, those uh, uh, from ancestors, and then he goes on to say that if you, if a certain number of inherited traits uh, get a preponderance within within a particular species, then you might even be able to say that a new species has come into to being from an older species uh, because it has enough distinct traits uh, that have been that single it out from the previous species. Not only that. Uh, the reason why certain traits are preferred over others is because there's, uh, this, it's because the, the, the traits that are passed on to the, uh, uh, to the children are, are especially those that are fitting for survival, uh, those things that help them to survive in this world of violence, conflict, and death. And uh, so this is the uh, purely materialistic way at which uh, Darwin arrives at a story about the state of species that we see on this earth right now, and, uh, uh, and this has this great advantage of explaining the origin of species without any sort of reference to immaterial principles, to the forms, and to God himself. It's completely scientific. And, of course, this completely scientific way of explaining the state of, uh, uh, of affairs that we find among the species on the globe can be applied to man. It can also be applied to the things of man such as we could come up with uh, evolutionary stories uh, for society. The less primitive societies give birth to, to more and more developed and, and sophisticated societies. It can give birth to this idea of religion, that religion starts off uh, in a cave worshipping the sun, and then it becomes something as complex as, let's say, the Roman Catholic Church's religion. Uh, that ethics itself develops over time, so that man used to have a very basic rudimentary understanding of right and wrong, and now he has a very sophisticated Understanding because of an evolutionary story that we can apply to it, you could apply it to psychology and all kinds of different things. Hmm. Uh, So I I hope this uh, gives the story in as succinct a a manner as possible that you were looking for.
0: Well, it does show the how I mean what Darwin apparently recognized was a materialistic telos, (laughs) which is called survival, and and that so that. So the, the the kind of the strength of the myth that Darwin put forward was that it it provided this materialistic explanation for things because everybody sees something order progress something and beauty uh, and, and so you gotta, you, how do you account for that and, and, and it seems like that that what Darwin does is he gives a way to account for it and, and that his basic biological idea is expanded now am I Pastor Fleming am I right in making this distinction between evolution and evolutionism so that evolution at least the kind of darwinian understanding would really simply be a subset of biology how you get from one species to another or whatever but uh, evolutionism then takes that idea and expands it to all of cosmology to exclude to include the big bang and the end of the world and everything else in it and so so evolutionism is the expanded idea of darwin's principles to all these places where Darwin wasn't necessarily thinking
1: right no I think that's absolutely right Uh, uh, that that evolution this idea of of the less primitive giving way to the sophisticated and you're you're absolutely right what Darwin was able to do was to to explain why chance doesn't just result in chaos right instead he gave an order to it through uh, look the things that are living want to stay alive and they put to death the things that are against it or the the weak among themselves
0: uh, really and that
1: principle of, of, uh, of calling out the weak in favor of the strong, well, that's very attractive as an explanatory framework for making sense of, yeah, you're right, not just biology, but also the universe and also societies. It it, it, could you imagine coming up with a societal story <laughs> of, of why we have this, the society we it, right now is because we've called off the, uh, the weak and, and the, de- the decrepit societies of the past? And yet that is exactly the kind of story that you found among the fascists in Nazi Germany, right? They were the epitome of human progress. They had reached the apex, and they had done so by surpassing the weak and the deficient to get there.
0: Yeah, it is a bleak story. Born in violence, ending in violence, progressing by violence. It's, uh, I mean... Ah. Well, okay. So now you, you have a question, Pastor Flammy, that you want to put, present to us all, and that is this. Can't the Bible just get along with evolution? Because, so, there's a couple of things here. Number one, the idea of evolution is so pervasive that it is almost now assumed. I mean so when yeah. you, when you talk to the to the schools or to the to the kind of casual scientist or whatever the idea that anybody would question the idea of evolution is absurd it's it is the modern orthodoxy and now there's these heresy trials that if you deny evolution you're going to be strung up it's worse than the Spanish Inquisition it's the evolution okay. inquisition and, and and so the oh. christians are not orthodox along the lines of evolutionary orthodoxy we say no 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 god made things and he made things peacefully by speaking a word that sets us against that sets us against the cosmology that is reigning now so there's a there's this impulse in the christian church to say well we think we can put the two together It seems Mm -hmm. kind of crazy to me because they are the precise opposite. Like if you wanted to have the opposite of what the Bible tells us about how the world was, began, and and was made, the the precise mirror image opposite would be evolution. Everything about it is utterly different. But still, people are trying to press these things together. So tell us about that.
1: Of course they want to. Why? Because uh, look at the promise of evolution. What does the evolutionary thinking thinking uh, deliver to us? Well, a very scientific way of seeing the world that detaches us from superstition and myth that enables us to attain greater and greater success and, uh, and greater and greater gifts. I mean, in some ways, you've got to personify evolution <laughs> as, a, as a goddess unto herself, right? And what does she promise? Uh, sophistication, development, technology... I mean, you look at the modern world, right? And then look at the, I, look at the way in which the, the scientists uh, speak of uh, uh, evolution. It, it, is not, it does not have the status of a theory. In fact, in television programs and news programs that are secular, uh, that are striving to be not Christian, right, or, or impartial or indifferent towards religion, evolution is more and more taking on the status of fact, uh, that it's a known thing, that it's irrefutable. That the person who speaks against it is speaking against reality, uh, and that person should be considered, in some ways, insane. Instead, I, look look to evolution as the giver of all these wonderful technologies of a purely scientific and rational way of seeing the world that enables medicine, right? That enables planes in the air, <laughs> that enables us to have cell phones and internet debates.
0: <laughs> this is—I heard this the other day, and I, and this is getting to what I was. Listening to is, is uh, someone who says, "Of course, there's no God. Look at this," and they held up their cell phone, as if the existence <laughs> of the cell phone was proof That's that right. there is no such thing as God. That's an amazing so they, thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's a it's a contest between the gods on the basis of their gifts, and and some people look at the materialistic things around them and they say, "I want this. Wow. I want my car. I want my cell phone. I want my internet. I don't want your God. What your God gives." What is which is what? Peace of conscience,
0: eternal life.
1: All I care about is this life now.
0: <laughs> yes, oh, that's an amazing thing. It's like the Pandora's box sort of. Thing. It's as if we're not as if we're not warned about this. Jesus says, what, "What profit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul?" So this is, but this is the that's an amazing thing to amazing way to consider it that that evolution as a as an idol offers us all the blessings of technological advancement. Huh. Right, that's, but remember
1: that this is just a story uh, that is put forward by the cult of evolution, right? So imagine evolution as a goddess that's out there, and the cult comes up with a story uh, to help you accept evolution as your as your new god. Uh, and uh, it, it's not actually that we as Christians would never admit to the story itself. And in fact, when the, when the evolutionist, and evolutionism as you, as you called it, says that this that what we say has the status of fact. we as Christians should put on the brakes and say, really? Are we actually talking about facts here? Uh, What's going on? Look, evolution, as a theory, is making claims about the world that that have gone beyond what we have actually observed in the world. When we observe the species of this world, we, we indeed see that some traits are genetically passed on to others, Right. Uh, And so you have these stories about uh, what is sometimes called microevolution that, uh, uh, let's say, what was it, during the Industrial Revolution in in England, uh, it was like a a species of of moth uh, changed its coloration so that it can blend in with the soot. And as Christians, we would say, well, thanks be to God, that is a gift given to living things from God, that traits of mothers and fathers can be passed on to the children, especially at times when uh, uh, the, the miscoloration of the moth would cause them to be eaten up by the sparrows more quickly, because they were so easily stood out against the soot, nevertheless, nevertheless, you call it microevolution, because you do not see a change in the species of moth itself. Uh, the, it has not become something altogether different. Uh, in this way, the Christians talk about how God has blessed. Uh, all creatures with the capacity to change. Uh, this is why we see differences in, in people though, who all belong to the human race all around the glo- globe. We don't all look the same, right? Because our ancestors probably found things that were, that were more attractive than uh, others, found some traits more attractive than others. Nevertheless, we all belong to the same human race, and those who deny it are racists, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so our phobia when it comes to racism ought to be brought to bear against the evolutionary story. That just because certain traits are are demonstrated in different parts of the world uh, among human beings, that doesn't mean that we're different species. That that we should see uh, the people on the other side of the earth, even if they look different from me, as other than me. They are the same as me. We all come from Adam. We all come from uh, uh, the same source, and we still... Uh, can live in peace and harmony, and and we can communicate with one another. We can all belong to the same church.
0: I, now, it's, so, this is a, a sort of yeah. a sidebar, Pastor Fleming. I've been trying to figure this out sure though. Sure. Do because d- do evolutionists? I mean, we would say we all come from Adam. Would an evolutionist say that there was an Adam though? That there was one that there was one sort of creature that was at one time born. I don't know, from some like monkey thing or or ape thing and that that would, and then Mm they cross the line and there all of a sudden you have something that would be a human or did that happen in multiple places where where you actually have different strains of humanity kind of coming forth at different places? That's a great question.
1: And I would not try to answer it. I would refer you to an evolutionary biologist. My, my, my guess would be that they would try to say that we came from a common ancestor, right? Uh, but still, they would, have to, they, they would be hard-pressed to explain why people who demonstrate different uh, traits among themselves are not to be considered different species, right? Mm-hmm. At what point do, you, do they not become, a, 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 are, are they different species, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, good- it, 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 that, that line is a little bit blurry, at least as I hear it from the evolutionists.
0: Back on the positive side, this is we were talking about this in Bible class yesterday is that the Christians should view every person everywhere they go as a family reunion, a Noah family reunion. So that yeah. we should just you know, we should walk into the Walmart or sit there at the at the uh Round Rock Express game and look around and say this is my family. Every single the What? Pers- this, that Round Rock Express, that's a famous it's a famous AAA baseball team here in Round Rock. I'm surprised you don't know about it. Now, if, this is, if, if evolutionism is, Darwin is connecting the dots, like we're one species to another, and it's a matter of yes. slow progression, then one of the ways we can bring questions to bear against it is, is saying, hey, those two dots can't connect one place to another. You can't extend, you, you just, there's no gradation between the two. It, it's, there's no, there's no way to take a million small steps and get there. It's like, it's like typing in, uh, Chicago to Paris on your Google Maps and asking how long it takes to drive. I mean, you just can't get there from here. And I think there's a handful of places where we can bring questions to bear. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this. How, to, and, and a couple of them are philosophical and a couple of them are very practical. But how do you get, for example, from something from nothing? Or, from not living to living, or from mm-hmm. from physical to consciousness, how, how do you how yeah, do you yeah. connect those dots well that 's a great question.
1: Uh, it seems like we have a whole l- 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 let 's take these one at a time right uh, so you 're applying evolutionary thought to cosmology when you ask the question why why is there something rather than nothing, or even according to the story of the Big Bang, which is the prevailing cosmological story right now Uh, why was there a time when there was nothing and then the very next instant there's this big bang and an explosion and expansion of energy and matter Uh, it it begs the question uh, how 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 could that be possible for there to to go from one state of affairs to the next what kind of story are you gonna give it seems like there's an element of creation there right okay now go now to the, the the next question which is well what about life? How could something go from non-living to living? The evolutionary story has to come up with it somehow. Uh, and uh, my, my favorite picture of this was in like an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that I used to watch as a kid. I was such a nerd. I still am, by the way. But I was watching this star- episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and, the, and Picard somehow found himself on Earth, and he's looking at this, this gooey soup in the rocks, right? And he's looking at the, the moment of life's genesis on the earth and, and, and uh, there's someone there who's explaining to you on what's going on all these enzymes and and uh, is, is somewhat organic compounds are coming together and as soon as they come together they're bam suddenly it goes from being non-life to life my question is what have we been able to to replicate this process of taking inorganic or i i should say non-living stuff putting it together and then you know charging it with electricity and then it becomes life Do do we have a way of doing that? Have we been able to take the building blocks, the chemicals, put them together, flip a switch, jolt it with electricity, and then it becomes life? To the best of my knowledge, I don't think that anyone has been able to replicate that in the laboratory. What do you think?
0: No, no, and and we even have the advantage of knowing how the end is supposed to be, and we can't even go back to the beginning. Hey, we've got to take another right. break, Pastor to. Oh, man, oh. we got a lot to cover. What does evolution have going for it? The fossil record, carbon dating, doesn't that tell us? Can't there be a synthesis? And then we want to talk about, we've started talking about evolutionism as a worldview, but that's the really interesting thing to me. So we'll we'll do that after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, we're taking a break. To Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy these p- conversations with Pastor Brian Flammy. If you enjoy Cross Defense, I got a couple of things I wanna I wanna ask of you. Uh, first is if you could give me your feedback on the show. What you enjoy about it? What you don't? What's good and what's bad? That really is helpful for me to to kind of shape the way things are going and and know how it's going. It's you know I'm just here talking to the microphone. I don't know. I don't know the look on your face, so let me know. The best way to get a hold of me is wolfmuller.co slash contact. Also, two more things. If you enjoy the content, you'd you'd love this weekly newsletter that we send out called Wednesday Whatnot. Every Wednesday afternoon I send out a free newsletter with a lot of theological tidbits, quotations, Bible studies, things that I've found curious. And once a month we do a book giveaway uh, to any of the books that we've published. It would just be fun for you if you enjoy the show. So you can find that at wolfmuller.co Slash Wednesday. Finally, if you're interested in supporting the show, especially through KRKS, uh, through KFUO, excuse me, uh, in St. Louis, and your or uh, the podcast itself. If you would let me know about that, there, there's um, day sponsorships that are available, supporting the show, even some uh, some sponsorship opportunities for the podcast. So if that's something interesting to you, and if you've got some extra money your church is provided for and your family's provided for and you want to jump in and, and help support the show, uh, I'd love to hear from you as well. You can find me, uh, reach out to me at uh, wolfmuller.co slash contact. Thanks again for being a listener. Back to the show. Hey, welcome back to Cross the Fence, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, Pastor Brian Flammy talking about evolution. Pastor Flamy, uh, you—oh boy! Uh, people want to ma- make these go together, creation and evolution. Um, can it be done? Hmm.
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question, and I think that that's kind of the starting point. With which, people, uh, uh, with which people kind of see themselves at right now. Uh, that they have, on one sense, their, their secular lives that are governed by what they watch on TV, uh, what they experience in their job, what they're taught in school, and that is evolution, evolution, evolution. Progress, progress, progress. We're going from the primitive to the more sophisticated. Uh, and the story of tens of thousands, millions, and billions of years in this world is repeated over and over and over again to the point where it becomes, and it, like we said before, an assumed fact. Uh, and, th- and then you, you set that against that what people have been taught from childhood to hear and to believe, that is the story of the Holy Scriptures, that in six days, not in six billion years, not in 600 billion years, but in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all the animals, and he created, all, he created our, human, our human race, Adam and Eve, and, and then he also continued to preserve the world from that time until now. So the Bible gives a radically different picture, not of, a, of a, an impossibly ancient earth and universe, but rather of a relatively young one uh, that, whose, whose life should be measured in the span of thousands of years rather than tens of thousands, millions, billions of years. And, and so people are trying to figure out, what do I do with this? I have people who say this is fact over here, that the world is is ancient and the universe is ancient. And there's the story for where life came from primitive to more sophisticated forms. And then we have the scriptures that says, no, God spoke and everything was created. And if anything, in the Bible, you have an opposing story that instead of things going from primitive to more complex, God created everything good. And since then, sin has been tearing apart creation and dragging it towards death. That's the story of the Bible. So the question is now, can these two stories be reconciled? And I think that you cannot seek a synthesis between evolution and the Bible story without ultimately saying that the Bible is either in error or should be modified to fit into the bounds of human reason. Or rather, let's try to say it this way that human reason should stand in judgment of what the Scriptures say, and we should let science have the first and the last voice there. And if if the Scriptures are contrary to that, then the idea is that the Scriptures should defer to the authorities of science.
0: Hmm. And that's what's motivating the idea of theistic evolution, the so-called theistic evolution, is that I I have two authorities. I've got the Bible as an authority, and I've got so-called science scientism anyway but science so it's called science i got science as the other authority and which one is going to which one's going to win and i'm going to give the trump card to science so-called and that's that's right you're going to give
1: the trump card to science so the thing that's modified ultimately is the bible story whereas you want to let the science story stand now this is uh, uh, this is the, the, the troubling thing about this. What if you let science's story stand, especially when it comes to the genesis of life? What you're basically saying is that whatever Moses is saying in in Exodus, or, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter chapters one and two, that Moses is mistaken or wrong, or that he's giving an incomplete or, or a false or some kind of story that, that just doesn't match up with the facts. But the problem is, if you, if you reject Moses' story, that he, the, the, his, the, his preaching of the beginning of the world, then the story of sin entering in the world and sin causing death is removed or called into question. And then the reason why God becomes man, to redeem us from sin, it now, it, it, it now attacks that story. Because why would God become man? To redeem if, in fact, death was something that preceded sin, and that death was the the thing that that God used to develop life. You see what I'm saying? These two stories have uh, have deep contradictions, especially the Christian story of sin leading to death and how sin and death are conquered in Christ versus the evolutionary story where death is a necessary feature of existence that enables us to enjoy life as we have it today.
0: Yes. No, okay, so I just want to so let me try to say what you just said and see if I got it right so that that you cannot have anything like evolution, no matter how theistic you make it. you cannot have anything um that comes close to evolution that does not see death as the mechanism of progress, and death therefore must be essential to whatever kind of universe we live in. the Bible, on the other or, hand.
1: Or- Yeah, I mean, let's say that you say that uh, the first six days of of, uh, the Bible story are allegorical, and in fact, this refers to millions and billions of years of evolution. Uh, And then God pronounces at the end of that, the six days, it's good. The the, uh, theistic evolutionary God is now pronouncing this death upon the earth as good, right? And if you tried to say, this is something I've been thinking about just today, and if you tried to say, well, what if God just placed man... At the end of this evolutionary story, well, nevertheless, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to say, well, why one part of creation and not the other? You have to give a reason either from science or from the Holy Scriptures hmm. uh, to assert that these two things should be separated from each other, man and creation. But I don't think that that can be done, at least not convincingly.
0: Yeah, And if you do, what do you come up with, some sort of... Like whatever you call racism when it, ever, when it comes to species, is that yeah. <laughs> you, the, the theistic Speciesism. evolutionist must say that, that man alone is punished by death, but when animals die, it's no big deal or something like that. That would yeah, be an awkward right. position now, I tell for that most that to
1: The little kid who ju- just loses a dog, right? right. They mourn that, that puppy, they mourn that part of creation that is in fact broken.
0: So, what, so this, que- I mean, it comes back to this. What, I mean, what is your God giving you when it comes to the question of death? And evolution is giving you annihilation and biological progression. <laughs> what, Jesus yeah. is giving you the, 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 the promise of his, of his, of his forgiveness and seeing his face and the resurrection. I mean, this is, boy, oh boy. Now. Yeah. <laughs> that's really quite something so okay so the two can't go together what about though so is it, now this is the 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 sort of mind that i want to travel down a little bit and and see what gems we can find because because i want to know what difference it makes like if if your mind and this is a confession pastor flammy i think i've told you this before but it's i mean i'm i've believed in the bible's account of creation for a long time 30 At least 25 years, I've been thinking about this sort of thing, confessing the six days that God made heaven and earth and so forth. And, and I've, I've been fighting against the ideas, the idea of evolutionism for just that long. But still, I find myself thinking like an evolutionist over and over, almost every day. It just, it permeates my own way of thinking. I mean, just the idea that I think of the people in the past as primitive versus us today or whatever. I mean, I just, it's it's a such a pervasive way of seeing ourselves and the world It sticks to everything. So I want to I want to ferret that out a little bit by asking, what's the difference? Like what what difference does it make if we have a, a evolutionary cosmology versus the biblical confession that God made heaven and earth?
1: Well, uh, practically speaking, part of the reason why I think you're you're so con- you continue to be tempted by the evolutionary cosmology, and, and I, I suppose I should admit uh, that I am as well, it a, it, it, it's because it comes with a great deal of respect and love from the world, right? Uh, instead of being the, the backwards, <laughs> hick pastor who insists that only the Bible is true <laughs> and irrefutable, right? Instead of being treated like that, you're, you're now treated as the sophisticated, open-minded pastor that's willing to entertain all possibilities, uh, and you'll be welcomed into the, into the homes of the sophisticated, rational people who champion uh, those things that, are, that go beyond the Holy Scriptures, right? Uh, look, we, we put ourselves into a box, or rather we should say the Holy Ghost puts us into a box that the world hates, that the world scorns, that the world jeers at as soon as we say that I bind myself to the Holy Scriptures as God's Word and that it is without error and it cannot fail me. Uh, when, I, when the Holy po- Ghost puts us in that box, the world it hates us. Uh, but we have to think of this box not as as a prison uh, of scorn, but rather as the Holy Ark, uh, the Holy Christian Church that lifts above the waves of this world. Right? Because what the evolutionists try to gain through their uh, uh, try to gain through the preaching of the the, the gospel of the false gospel of evolution uh, that you have technology, progress, pleasure. All of these things come to an end at death. Still, evolution seeks after a way to escape from the strictures of death. I know that you've talked to guests before about the, the theories of transhumanism. It's nothing more than a, the starting in an evolutionary world, trying to find a way past that wall of death, and yet it cannot escape it. Eventually, death, like that all-consuming monster, eats up everything and destroys everything. Uh, even the world in which we live right now, uh, the evolutionists are saying that the humans are destroying it, that it, the world is coming to an end. And in some ways, they're very right. The world is ending. And death is a possibility not just for, for ourselves individually, but for whole cultures and societies because of the sins that we commit against one another and, and uh, for the, the horrible things that we do. Uh, one of the nice things, probably, I don't know how nice it is, really, but at least one of the realizations that, that we've come to in the last maybe 25 or 30 years is that uh, the, the, the history of the world is not one of progress upon progress and success after success of, of further sophistication that leaves behind the primitive old world. Rather, we see ourselves falling into the same traps, the same sins, and the same inhuman actions that have come before us, right? I think especially with 9-11, that realization really hit home for a lot of us. We weren't living in an American world uh, that was becoming more, democ- uh, more democratic and free. Instead, we were living in a world that was still t- tyrannized by fear and by hatred. Uh, and the evolutionists don't have an answer to that fear and hatred. The Christians do. And in fact, we could say against the evolutionary God and the gifts of evolution, that these gifts can only lead to one place, but Christ leads to forgiveness of sins, uh, freedom of conscience, resurrection of the body, and eternal life. Uh, Evolution doesn't have a story of redemption. Christianity does. And thanks be to God, and I remember talking about this at the very beginning, uh, uh, or I suppose uh, we talked about this off the air. Uh, The evolutionists try to give you a story about things that no one was there to see, right? In the the ancient times uh, of development, no human being was present to mark what was going on to collect the data, and to to record it for us. All of it is a a story, a a cleverly crafted story about where everything came from. Nevertheless, we as Christians have something better than just a story. (laughs) We have Christ in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, seen by his disciples and all of the residents of of Judea and Galilee as he he preached, and he healed the sick, and he fed the thousands, and people saw him. Here in our time, in our place, in our history, him suffered for sin upon the cross and then, and then saw his victory over the grave in the resurrection. We can hold over and against the evolutionists, the empty tomb. The evolutionists' tomb is always going to be filled up with death.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's fantastic, Pastor Fleming. Thank you so much. This has been really great. I, I love it. This is to think of evolution, not only to think of the claims that it makes, but to think of the the philosophic claims that it makes, not just the scientific claims that it makes, and the theological claims that it makes, and to picture evolution as a false god that's offering, like you said, pleasure, annihilation, an illusion of freedom, but it does not offer the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus for sinners, uh, which is what the Bible gives to us, and, and to say that the historical, evi- the historical evidence for the redemption that we have in Christ is much stronger than the historical evidence of the Big Bang, or the move from ape to man, or the origin of life, or whatever. God be praised for that. Thank and thanks for bringing it out, and thanks to everyone who's listening for listening. So glad to have you with us as we explore these theological topics, explore what the Bible says, and why these things matter. We remember that death is not natural. Death is an is an unnatural invasion it's the punishment of sin the wages of sin is death the Bible says but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus that's what the truth offers the history of God in our flesh bearing our sins for our salvation God be praised thanks for listening to Cross Defense I'm your host Pastor Brian Wolfmuller we'll talk to you again God willing next week God's peace be with you Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support cross Defense at KFUO.org. Here again, I'm back at the end of the podcast. Thanks for downloading it. Hopefully this is helpful to you. I'd love to hear from you. Wolfmuller.co slash contact. And if you like the show and you're not subscribed to the Wednesday Whatnot, you would love that as well. Wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. Just a free weekly newsletter with various curious theology. It's like it's basically like cross-defense in your email. Uh, again, if this was helpful to you, and you know someone it would be helpful to, please send it along to them. Uh, that's the way we get the word around, and thanks again for being a podcast listener. God's peace be with you.